The Green New Deal is $100 trillion, that is not, not $20 billion. Plan. That's the Green uh, well, New Deal. Well, you want to rebuild every is building. That's not my plan. I want to rebuild right. every building. If he knew anything about the military, he made a statement about the military. He said I said something about the military. If you're a little confused about where Joe Biden stands on the Green New Deal, that's understandable. The Green New Deal will pay for itself as we move forward. We're not going to build plants that, in fact, are great polluting plants. But do you We're support build the Green New Deal? Pardon me? You support? No, I don't support the Green oh, New Deal. Oh, you don't? Oh, well, that's a big statement. I support the Biden plan. the radical left. I, su- okay. I support oh, the don't. Biden plan that I put forward. Okay. The Biden plan, which is different than what he calls the radical Green New Deal. All right, gentlemen. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Biden has basically co-opted the major pieces of the Green New Deal. That's Alex O'Keefe. We met him back in episode two. He's the creative director of Sunrise Movement. My mom called me the other night and she was confused because she was watching the town hall with Biden. She said, I don't understand. He's basically saying all those things that you put in the Green New Deal, but he says he won't call it the Green New Deal. By the year 2035, we'll be able to have net zero emissions of carbon from the creation of energy. The other thing we're going to do is provide an awful lot of work. She was angry like he's stealing our <laughs> he's stealing our catchphrases, you know, it's like plagiarism. I'm like, Mom, whatever works, whatever works, you know, if it gets them to that point. This week on Generation Green New Deal, we're looking at how the Green New Deal and climate change have shaped the 2020 presidential election. That story coming up on Generation Green New Deal. Welcome back to Generation Green New Deal. I'm your host, Sam Eilertson. Let's start by rewinding back to late 2018. On November 13th, 2018, Sunrise Movement and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez occupied Nancy Pelosi's office demanding a Green New Deal. Environmental activists occupied House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi's office with a list of demands this morning. That protest was a huge success, and the words Green New Deal caught fire. The problem was, at that point, the Green New Deal wasn't much more than a framework. There was no plan ready to roll out. My job after this didn't happen was just to try to figure out how to then do the next step. Shoykat Chakrabarty was AOC's chief of staff when all this went down. We had upset a lot of Democratic Party people, but, you know, we were new to this political stuff. They had upset a lot of Democratic insiders. But some politicians sensed the grassroots energy behind the Green New Deal and wanted to get involved. And I remember uh, Senator Markey, you know, wanted to meet with AOC like soon after and just talk about how, he, you know, he really wants to do stuff with her in the next Congress. And, um, and so that was encouraging. Ed Markey is a senator from Massachusetts. He strikes a bit of a contrast with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. He's 74 years old and has been in politics since the 70s. Markey was a key author of the last major attempt to pass climate legislation in 2009, a bill called Waxman-Markey. That bill took a market-based approach to climate action. So Markey embracing the Green New Deal signaled the potential that even older establishment figures could get behind its radically new approach. Together, Markey and AOC came up with the idea of introducing a non-binding congressional resolution for a Green New Deal. 
Congress people introduce resolutions all the time, and most of them get very little attention because they don't actually do anything. They're sort of a statement of principles. They say things like, it is the intent of Congress to do XYZ. Shoykot and others from AOC and Markey's teams got to work sketching out what the Green New Deal could actually look like. And, you know, we just uh, tried to hammer it out and be a bit more, have a bit more details in it. Um, that lined out, you know, kind of the 13 projects that a Green New Deal should encompass and sort of the principles they should follow. As they worked on the resolution, Democrats began to throw their hat into the ring for the presidential campaign. Today, at our very first rally, I want to welcome you to a campaign. I stand here today to declare that I am a candidate for president of the United States. And the resolution was very much aimed at those presidential contenders. A major goal was to get some of those candidates to take up the idea of a Green New Deal and campaign on it. In broad strokes, the Green New Deal aims to deal with climate change and economic inequality together. Here's David Roberts, climate reporter for Vox. It introduced the basic idea that instead of operating from a defensive crouch, and trying to secure some incremental gains, let's swing for the fences and talk about a plan that would actually solve the problem. And honestly, the Green New Deal was the first time such a plan had ever been introduced to to American politics broadly. Like, okay, let's go big. Let's take the problem seriously and go big, and let's talk about seriously what would solve it. While AOC and Markey's teams worked on the resolution, Sunrise activists relentlessly lobbied Congress people to support it. I think you end up having like 120 co-sponsors or something. You know, I still don't think all those people are co-sponsored and knew what they're getting into, but you know. <laughs> Importantly, among those co-sponsors were all of the senators who would eventually become presidential candidates. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Kamala Harris. Then, in February of 2019, AOC and Markey unveiled the Green New Deal resolution. Today, we are putting forward a set of principles, not prescriptions. All great American program started with a vision for our future. The resolution is just 14 pages long. It's not a detailed plan, it doesn't have many specific targets. But it does lay out the basic idea of what the Green New Deal could look like. It describes five goals of a Green New Deal. One, end greenhouse gas emissions. Two, create millions of good jobs. Three, modernize U.S. infrastructure. Four, secure a healthy environment for all. And five, promote justice and equity. It lays out a series of projects that could meet those goals. Those projects are very big and ambitious. Things like upgrading every building for maximum efficiency, upgrading power grids and public transportation systems nationwide, and upgrading the social safety net to guarantee every American the right to health care, housing, and a job. The hope was that the public, policy experts, and politicians would fill in all those details. But conservative media rushed to fill them in before anyone else could. Democrats unveiling their radical extreme Green New Deal. Eliminating cows in the next 10 years. <laughs> if you want the number one indicator of the potency of Green New Deal, look at 
how Fox News responded to it. First of all, it makes them look like they're taking LSD. It's in the water cooler there. Because you, in order to have a dream that big, you got to be on, on drugs. Republicans immediately sensed on a gut level that this is a powerful idea, that this is potent, a potent idea that they needed to destroy as soon as humanly possible. When we talk about getting rid of air travel, free, 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 everything's free. Completely jackbooting the economy. All I can say is start storing canned food in the basement because this economy is going to be so broke. Fox News tactics worked. A lot of the Democrats decided that the Green New Deal was too polarizing. Some of the Democratic presidential candidates who had endorsed the resolution began to distance themselves from it. The Green New Deal, I see it as aspirational. I see it as a jumpstart. When I talked to him, Dave Roberts summed up the frustration that a lot of people on the left felt. Why is it that Republicans are so good at recognizing threats to themselves and Democrats are so bad? Like, why didn't Democrats recognize the power of the Green New Deal framing and just unite around it. Any hope that the Green New Deal might unite the Democratic Party around a bold stance on climate action seemed pretty far-fetched at that point. But then the candidates hit the campaign trail. Sunrise activists started showing up at events, pressing them to address climate issues. Hi, Mr. O'Rourke. My name's Aaron, and I'm a climate activist. Would you commit to a goal of zero emissions from fossil fuels by the year 2030? Thank you for the question, and thank you for your advocacy. We have to do everything within our power to get Here's to Sunrise Executive Director Varshini Prakash. Honestly, the central movement, I think, did a far less coordinating and... Uh, execution of this than people probably think. Like this was in many ways organic, which kind of led to this atmosphere of like sunrise is everywhere. These young people are everywhere. Candidates started to realize that the pressure to take a stance on climate wasn't going away anytime soon. Our goal was really to elevate climate and kind of force essentially a race to the tops around climate ambition, around, uh, you know, different candidates' plans. Joe Biden was one of the last candidates to enter the race, and Sunrise activists made no secret of the fact that he was not their pick. Many in the climate movement were disappointed by the Obama-Biden administration, and early in the campaign, one of Biden's advisors said that he would be taking a, quote, middle ground approach to the issue. That idea is not sitting well with the party's left wing. I will be damned if the same politicians who refuse to act then are going to try to come back today and say we need a middle-of-the-road approach to save our lives. That is too much for me. Here's Sunrise's Alex O'Keefe again. And we were like, we're going to go in on Joe Biden. We are going to ask and demand Joe Biden endorse the Green New Deal and put out his own Green New Deal. And we know he won't. And then we woke up one morning, we were all in a circle, and Evan, our political director, said, oh, so uh, I've got news. Uh, Joe Biden has endorsed the Green New Deal. (laughs) And we all like, what? (laughs) Joe Biden hadn't 100% endorsed the Green New Deal, but what he had done was describe it as a crucial framework for addressing climate change. He even thanked the Sunrise Movement and Varshni Prakash for their advocacy. I'm David Kiva. I lead climate and conservation engagement for the Biden for President campaign. I reached out to David to talk about the role that climate has played in Biden's campaign. 
was the first major policy uh, to come out of our campaign. And it was first on purpose. Um, and it was first because the vice president has always had a deep understanding that if you're going to reach younger voters, you need to connect with them around vision and values on climate. And if you're not able to do that, you're not going to get any for any, anywhere with them. They're going to probably tune you out on everything else. Biden's plan wasn't even close to the most ambitious in the race, but it was much more ambitious than anyone had expected from him. Today, I'm announcing my plan for clean energy revolution. Joe Biden's releasing his climate plan today after weeks of promises. His policy is going even further than President Obama's policy. Today, Joe Biden announced his climate plan and embraces a Green New Deal framework. As the debates began that summer, it became clear that climate was going to play a much bigger role than it had in any presidential election ever. Here's Politico reporter Michael Grunwald on CBS News. Every major Democrat has proposed to to decarbonize the economy by 2050, which is exactly in line with what the UN scientists say is necessary, but it really is going to create a lot of disruption in society. And one by one, candidates released their climate plans, each one more ambitious than the next. So today, I'm announcing my plan for the evergreen economy, a plan to put eight million Americans to work. One of the pieces that's going to be in there is we stop subsidizing fossil fuel companies and we put that money into green energy. We are also going to create some 20 million new good paying jobs. While none of the candidates adopted the AOC Markey resolution point for point, its fingerprints were unmistakable in every one of these plans, even the position to the more moderate candidates like Biden. Here's David Roberts from Vox again. Even those Democrats who are prone to accepting Fox's framing of of liberal initiatives and think that the Green New Deal is somehow too radical and too far are proposing as quote-unquote alternatives plans that center around industrial policy, big public investments, and environmental justice. So so the, 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 the core substance of the Green New Deal has, like in the blink of a political eye, become kind of the default climate policy of the left. And now you see that every presidential candidate is proposing variations of this. Sunrise had managed to influence the entire climate conversation during the primaries. As 2020 approached, they had to pick a candidate to endorse. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez endorsed Bernie Sanders. Ed Markey endorsed Elizabeth Warren. Sunrise put it to a membership-wide vote. By and large, people people think young people vote because of the memes or whatever. But ultimately, young people vote because they are deeply inspired by a set of issues and a platform by a candidate. And Bernie Sanders had the platform that spoke to young people and the issues that matter to us. Hi, everybody. My name is Varshini, and um, I'm one of the co-founders of Sunrise Movement. This is the most important election of our lifetimes, and Iowa State is at the front line of it all. And this is the most important thing that you could be doing. We are electing Bernie Sanders to be president. (laughs) 
yeah, it was a wild ride. It was, it was like, um, it was, you know, I think I went to Iowa like three times in a month um, or something like that. It was amazing. It was electric. Varshini and her colleagues felt victory on the horizon. There was a, there was a like three week period that it felt like we would fulfill the wildest visions of, you know, the Black Panthers and, you know, Eugene, uh, Eugene Debs, and we would elect a socialist president. Bernie Sanders pulling ahead, winning New Hampshire with Pete Buttigieg close behind. So after two contests, Iowa, New Hampshire, Sanders wins the popular vote. Let me take this opportunity to thank the people of New Hampshire for a great victory tonight. And we were winning. He won every single race. He seemed unstoppable. And Senator Bernie Sanders taking the Nevada Democratic caucus by a landslide. Then came South Carolina. CNN projects that Joe Biden is the winner in South Carolina. Followed by Super Tuesday. Joe Biden's historic comeback, expanding his winning streak just today, adding Maine, winning now 10 states in Super Tuesday voting. I think I knew in that moment I could feel the sinking feeling like this is it. It was soul crushing. It was absolutely soul crushing. As the COVID lockdowns began in March, Bernie Sanders bowed out of the race, leaving Joe Biden as the presumptive nominee. So I'm asking every Democrat, I'm asking every independent, I'm asking a lot of Republicans to come together in this campaign to support your candidacy, which I endorse. For most of the people in Sunrise, Bernie was their first engagement in politics. Their entire political identity was formed around the borders of Bernie Sanders and his movement. And People were enraged at us as the leaders of Sunrise, that we couldn't win this election for Bernie, you know, that we failed. So Biden was the nominee. The election stage was set. Biden versus Trump. Trump was running against the Green New Deal and against the idea that climate change even exists. An extreme $100 trillion government takeover. No more airplanes, no more cows. It'll start getting cooler. <laughs> I you wish just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> I don't think science knows, actually. So young climate activists had something to vote against, but would Biden give them something to vote for? Biden's half-hearted attempt to appease the climate left was thoroughly rejected by the climate left during the initial primary. But B, post-primary... All of a sudden, the polls and the consultants and the political realities were telling him, you need the left. Here's David Keeve from the Biden campaign again. The vice president said in front with Senator Sanders to Senator Sanders supporters, come, join us. You're not just welcomed, you're needed. Uh, and we've tried to honor that commitment and, and live up to it as a campaign, including forming um, the unity task forces across a, a wide number of, of different areas to try to reach some consensus along with some of Senator Sanders' strongest supporters about ideas that would inform the Democratic platform at the convention. One of those unity task forces worked to lay out a new, much more ambitious climate platform for Joe Biden. Biden appointed half the representatives on the task force, and Sanders appointed the other half. Biden's picks came from the old guard, including former Secretary of State John Kerry. Among those Sanders appointed were Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Varshini Prakash. You know, it was just like every 
week, we'd be on like multiple hours of Zoom calls. There was something like strangely equalizing about us all just being in like tiny computer boxes, you know, like I, you know, I'm not in a room with John Kerry being like literally twice as tall as I am. And I was kind of surprised actually how open and amenable they were to some of the policies that we that we asked them to consider, particularly because it was far more ambitious than what they had considered just months prior. The task force successfully pushed Biden to adopt a much more ambitious climate policy. Out of the, the task force process, we saw them move from a $1.7 trillion climate plan over 10 years to a $2 trillion climate plan over four years. Um, we saw direct commitments to invest 40% of that $2 trillion directly into frontline communities. Frontline communities are those impacted first and worst by the effects of pollution and climate change, like the 48217 neighborhood of Detroit that we visited in the last episode. We saw, you know, a commitment to move up the timeline around decarbonization of the power sector from 2050 to 2035. Um, we saw them set a goal of of um, achieving uh, net zero new buildings by 2030, when previously there was no goal around that. Biden's new climate plan is arguably closer to the plans pushed by Sanders and Warren than the plan Biden ran on in the primary. So why was he willing to go so much bigger? I think Biden, like just on a purely political level and on a substantive policy level, was convinced that this is not like climate plans of the past, that, that, that the politics have changed. It is an electoral winner. Polling shows that among wavering Trump voters, this is one of the main things they're wavering about. Young people, even, even young Trump voters, are coming around on climate. A recent poll by the New York Times found that 66% of likely voters support Biden's climate plan, even when it was specifically phrased as Biden's $2 trillion climate plan, which makes Biden's climate policies more popular than Biden himself. So the, the political climate has changed, and obviously it is, it is silly to, to give all the credit for all of that. <laughs> to the Sunrise people and to the Green New Deal, but I think they deserve a lot of it. The thing I would say about Joe Biden is he's not a visionary. He is a weather vane for white suburbanites. We can and we will deal with climate change. It's not only a crisis, it's an enormous opportunity. An opportunity for America to lead the world in clean energy and create millions of new good paying jobs in the process. White suburbanites overwhelmingly support these policies, and he believes he can pass this agenda through a Democratic Congress and a Democratic Senate. Donald Trump warns that integration is threatening our suburbs. It's ridiculous. Wildfires are burning the suburbs in the West. If we have four more years of Trump's climate denial, how many suburbs will be burned? So I think what you've seen here is that we have moved the, the conversation around climate and some of these radical issues that are attached to the Green New Deal so far that it actually pushes the um, politicians, right? David Keeve frames it a little differently, but said more or less the same thing. I think Joe Biden's approach to policy has always been, I'm going to pick out the most ambitious thing that I think I can actually pass. And I'm going to I'm going to say that I support that. 
So this brings us back to the start of today's show. No, I don't support the Green oh, New Deal. Oh, you don't? Oh, well, that's Biden a- might not be willing to adopt the name Green New Deal or every piece of it, but the movement behind the Green New Deal has changed the political calculus in a pretty incredible way. He is not a visionary, but our visions have become the savviest calculation he can make. When they start to basically reflect all of your ideals, but give it a different name and give themselves credit, that's when you know you're winning. So here we are, a week out from the election. Sunrise and the climate movement got a lot of commitments from Biden, if not every single thing they wanted. I do not propose banning fracking. So if Biden does win, can they actually get this ambitious plan done? I asked Alex what Sunrise's plans look like after the election in the best case scenario for them, which would be Biden wins and the Democrats win a majority in the U.S. Senate. Listen, like immediately after that election, we will be working on the first part of the Green New Deal. Whatever stimulus we pass, we're going to want that stimulus to be defined by the principles of the Green New Deal agenda. If we can win, even in the first couple months of the Biden administration, major pieces of legislation that gives people jobs, gives them green jobs, rebuilding America, building America back better, whatever Biden's slogan is, um, then, you know, messaging becomes easy. It's less about prophecy. It's more about finding those people who got those jobs and having them say, hey, this is great. <laughs> I love my life. Um, you're going to want some more of this. A big part of that is linking climate action to a coronavirus stimulus plan. More economic stimulus is desperately needed, and that presents a big opportunity. What if all that money getting pumped into the economy was used to invest in green infrastructure, clean energy, and cleaning up pollution in frontline communities? So that would create so much momentum for the Green New Deal to be even bigger, and it's going to be a brutal fight, no doubt. But I believe that we have won an unprecedented amount of political power, and we represent an unprecedented amount of political pressure. So is Joe Biden on board with attaching climate policies to a COVID relief package? David Keeve said, absolutely, that's exactly the plan. That's simple. It's because our jobs and economic recovery plan is our plan to address climate change and vice versa. This is absolute must-pass legislation. The vice president believes sincerely that this is something that we need to do. And he also believes that the best way to rebuild our economy is by investing in the jobs that are going to be there in the future. And that's these clean energy jobs that we've been talking about. Um, So he's going to put his full weight behind trying to pass really ambitious climate change uh, legislation that's also going to stimulate our economy and put people back to work with good paying union jobs. Last week on the Pod Save America podcast, John Lovett asked Biden why young climate voters could trust him to deliver. What is your message to those young people who are passionate about this issue, but skeptical that they can count on you or really any politician to actually deliver and take this issue with the urgency it demands? It's the number one issue facing humanity. And it's the number one issue for me. Science tells us we've got until 2030 to reverse course. Uh, We don't have any more time to waste. Our plan is bold and aggressive. We're proud of the fact that it's bolder and and more aggressive than anything we've seen before. But it's also bolder and more aggressive than anything we've seen before because Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and all of us on the campaign realize that it's what the moment requires. I asked Alex why he thinks people should get out and vote for Joe Biden, even if they don't love everything about him, even if they don't love a lot of things about him. All I can say is if you're sitting out because 
you think Biden is far from perfect, you're completely right. But do you have a better strategy? You know, that's why I ask people, you know, okay, I agree with you. I would rather have somebody else. You have a plan. I don't hear the alternative to voting right now besides maybe fleeing the country, maybe building a compound. And that is not an alternative that people from where I'm from can't even use. So what is going to give you the best possible chance at living? We are taking over the Democratic Party. We are changing their policies. Look at how, what, look at the platform four years ago. Look at the platform today. We changed that. Sunrise is undeniably changing the political calculus for Democrats. This year, Sunrise helped win a number of upset victories in congressional primaries, including Jamal Bowman in New York, Cory Bush in St. Louis, and Ed Markey's comeback victory against challenger Joe Kennedy. Overall, Sunrise won 70% of the primary races that they endorsed in. I believe that the Democratic Party is the only party that we have any potential of taking over to reshaping and redefining in our image. I don't believe that's possible with the Republican Party. And if you vote for no other reason, vote because this is your generational chance to destroy the Republican Party. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has a similar message. Voting for Joe Biden is not about whether you agree with him. It's a vote to let our democracy live another day. One week from today, Americans will elect either Joe Biden or Donald Trump as our next president. We will either have a shot at starting to turn around this existential crisis, or we will have another four years of climate denial, science denial, and deregulation. And there are a lot of congressional, state, and local races that could have a huge impact on the future success of the climate movement. So I'm asking you to vote, early or on November 3rd. And if you need any information on where or how to vote, go to vote.org to get that information. But regardless of who wins, there will be a long, difficult fight ahead to stop the climate crisis. And we're going to keep covering that fight in this podcast and in our film, Generation Green New Deal. But because there's so much up in the air with the outcome of this election, we need a little time to figure out where the story is going. So this is the last regular episode of Generation Green New Deal for a few weeks. We'll be back in December, but in the meantime, we'll be putting out more Gen G and D conversations, including interviews with Professor Leah Stokes from the new podcast, A Matter of Degrees, journalist Eric Holthouse, and Zero Hour co-founder Jamie Margolin. Please make sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It seems like the trolls have found us, and we've been getting a lot of bad ratings from people who just see the name Green New Deal and are mad about it. So if you like this show, I would really appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a quick review. Special thanks this week to Peter O'Brien, Sam Quigley, Teresa Preston Werner, and Preston Werner Ventures. You can go follow us for more on Twitter and Instagram at GenerationGND. We're on Facebook as Generation Green New Deal, and you can find links to all of this, subscribe to our newsletter, watch a companion video to this episode, and even see a preview of the documentary this podcast is based on at GenerationGreenNewDeal.com. This episode of Generation Green New Deal was produced and paid for by Takuna Lam Films Incorporated and distributed by Critical Frequency. I'm your host, Sam Eilertson. Nate Birnbaum and I created the show and we wrote and produced this episode with Michael Catano. 
Our executive producers are Amy Westervelt and Eric Axelman. Our story consultant is Maggie Lemire. Nick Damons is our script consultant. Mariel Olentine produces our companion videos. Michael Catano is our editor and also our mix engineer. Polka Dada is our impact producer. Alex Ostroff is our archival producer. Transcription by Shelby Lambert. Our artwork was created by Matthew Fleming, and our theme song is Which Side Are You On by B. Dolan. Thanks for listening.